Hi, I'm Eric Voss of New Rockstars. Thanks for watching this video on YouTube or listening to it on the New Rockstars podcast. Subscribe to New Rockstars on Apple Podcasts, the MLA app, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's get into the breakdown. Captain Marvel ain't just an origin story for Captain Marvel, the newest hero to join the Avengers. It's also an origin story for Nick Fury and Phil Coulson, uncannily deep-faked into children. Because this movie ties into the MCU in so many interesting ways. Subtle nods to the Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers, Winter Soldier, even Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Maybe even setting up where the MCU could go beyond Endgame. So let's re-watch this movie scene by scene, break it all down for all the Easter eggs and filmmaking details that you might have missed. Spoiler warning in case you haven't seen Captain Marvel yet, I will ruin your life. Let's get started. Okay, before this movie even begins, there's a big Marvel shout out in the form of a tribute to the late, great Stan Lee. With this being the first Marvel Studios film released since his passing. The studio's title sequence has replaced the various Avengers with Stan from his many cameos, including the FedEx driver in Civil War, package for Tony Stank as Hugh Hefner in the first Iron Man, the Sakaar Barber in Ragnarok, the World War II general in the first Captain America, and the drunk vet in Age of Ultron. Also the guy on the bus in Doctor Strange, tons of others. It's a touching memorial, but I just love how this reminds us how Stan is an actual physical person. Physically many people throughout this whole movie universe. And despite his departure from our world, his presence still lives on in the cinematic world. The opening frames of the film show us the cryptic dream of our hero, Carol Danvers, Brie Larson, as she tries to piece together her past, a mysterious accident that led to her gaining supernatural abilities. It's fitting that this movie uses this whole fractured memory device because in the comics, Captain Marvel's whole history is ridiculously complicated. Originally, the character was male, a Kree warrior known as Marvel. I know, it's goofy, but there already was a Captain Marvel in comics, the DC hero whom the young Billy Batson turns into when he says, Shazam! Over time, Marvel was able to stick to the name Captain Marvel for their hero, and DC just started calling their guy Shazam. And it's not at all confusing that movies for Captain Marvel and Shazam are released within a month of each other. Anyway, Captain Marvel had a female counterpart, Miss Marvel, over the years, with an interesting wardrobe. And a few decades later, Captain Marvel was relaunched as a United States Air Force pilot Carol Danvers, who directly took on the Kree powers and the mantle of Captain Marvel, which ended up being a very popular series by comic writer Kelly Sue DeConnick. Here, Annette Benning plays the Kree scientist named Marvel, who brings Danvers into the fold. We'll get to her backstory later. Danvers, or as she's known here, veers from the second half of her last name on her severed dog tag, wakes up on the Kree planet of Hala. The Kree are an alien race of genetically superior warriors, and they're locked in a perennial war with the Skrull, a race of shapeshifters. The Kree have shown up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well as the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, like Ronan the Accuser and Korath, our Kree who show up in both films. Captain Marvel, they're still part of the Kree military. Later on in Guardians, they'll be extremists disavowed by the Kree leadership. But still, the Kree race has never really been cast in a positive light. He is slaughtering children, families. That is your business. Now I have other matters to attend to. Actually, early drafts of the first Guardians of the Galaxy and of this movie were both written by the same screenwriter, Nicole Perlman. So they do share a sort of DNA. For example, just as they do in the Guardians movies, every time a new planet or location is introduced, notice how navigation coordinates appear underneath the name of the place. Veers spars with her mentor, Jude Law's character, whose name wasn't really spoken aloud much, but it is Jan Rog, and that's because Jan Rog is the name of Captain Marvel's longtime Kree nemesis in the comics, and we later find out this guy is a bad guy. As they spar, Veers is prevented from 
powering up fully by this inhibitor chip in her neck. This is similar to the inhibitor that was used on Quake and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a show where a lot of the gadgetry could have been based on Kree technology. Veers meets with the Kree Supreme Intelligence. It's an AI authority that, in the comics, takes the form of a Zordon-y disembodied face, but here it takes on a different form to each Kree, whomever they most admire. For Veers, it's Annette Benning, Marvell, as a way for her subconscious to try to help her unlock the truth of her past. But this could also be a manipulation by the Supreme Intelligence, perhaps as a way to further confuse Veers about Annette Benning showing up in her dreams. Like if you have sex dreams about your teacher, you would probably just assume it's a weird coincidence of someone you see all the time slipping into your subconscious, and not that your teacher really was someone you slept with in the past that you just blocked out. By the way, nice. 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 Nice! In the comics, the Supreme Intelligence is cruelly manipulative just like this. And actually turns out to have orchestrated a self-genocide on the Kree race to force the survivors to evolve and break out of their genetic stagnation. Not very nice. The Supreme Intelligence assigns Veers to the Star Force, which is kind of like SEAL Team 6 of the Kree military. They're led by Yon rog They also include Korath, Jaiman Hansu, Minerva, Jimmy Chan's character. She's a Kree geneticist in the comics. Atlas, Captain Atlas in the comics, played by Algenis Perez-Soto. And Bronjar, played by Runa Tempta. In the comics, Bronchar wasn't really a member of the Star Force, but his claim to fame was he was a Kree soldier who broke one of Captain America's shields. Also notice how the production designers of this movie used the same sets and backdrops of Hala that we saw behind the Kree delegate in Guardians of the Galaxy. Great consistency. And when the Star Force ships depart Hala, they pass through these hexagonal wormholes. This is also production design detail from the Guardians movies. In Volume 2, Rocket, Groot, Yondu, and Kraglin use the same intergalactic travel technology. Their mission is an extraction of a spy from the planet Torfa. It's a location also from the comics. Actually a Skrull refugee planet, hinting that these Skrull that they find are actually refugees, not hostile invaders. Also, Torfa is known for a toxic atmosphere caused by vibranium, suggesting this planet could have been formed by the same astronomical event that caused that vibranium meteorite that struck Wakanda on Earth. During this mission, we see how Veer's Kree suit projects a mask over her face. This looks a lot like the same technology that Peter Quill uses for his mask, and that whole spacesuit that they use in Volume 2. They all got it from the Kree. This mission, of course, ends up being a trap for the Skrull to capture Veers and scrub her memories. The Skrull are led by Talos, not the pronunciation I thought it was going to be, played by Ben Mendelsohn. Now, in the comics, he's known as Talos the Untamed. He's got a fierce reputation, a Skrull warrior, but that changes when he gets captured by the Kree and refuses to commit their whole ritualistic suicide where they shift into the face of their captor, and this all earns him the name Talos the Tamed. Burn. Similarly, in this movie, Talos does work with some of the Kree, but really, the Skrull, as we see him in this movie, have been changed drastically from what we know from the comics. Veers relives her memories as Carol Danvers, U.S. Air Force pilot, alongside her friend Maria Rambeau, Lashana Lynch. Notice how Maria's call sign is Photon. That's a nod to her daughter, Monica Rambeau, who grows up to become the Marvel hero Photon, aka Pulsar. She also takes on the mantle of Captain Marvel at one point. She's a major figure in the new Avengers, and perhaps a hero in the future Avengers films. Now, if you look closely, one of the memories features her stargazing with young Monica as a shooting star zips across the night sky. And this brings up an interesting question about the whole timeline of this movie. The main events are set in 1995, six years after Carol left Earth in 1989. If Carol and Monica are seeing this shooting star, say, a year before she went missing, this could actually be Yondu's ship when he kidnapped a young Peter Quill. That was in 1988. And that is in Missouri, which isn't that far from Louisiana where the Rambo home is. Carol calls Monica Lieutenant Trouble, which is also from the comics. It's a nickname given to Kit Renner, who's a huge 
huge fan of Captain Marvel who, like Monica in this movie, helps Carol recover her memories after amnesia. Now the target memory for Talos features Dr. Wendy Lawson, the Earth alias of Marvel. The project she works on is Pegasus, which should sound familiar to you. Pegasus is the operation initiated by the World Security Council tasked with researching and weaponizing the Tesseract. We actually saw the end of Project Pegasus at the beginning of the Avengers movie, and Tony Stark mentioned it in Iron Man 2. I need some stuff out of storage. Give me everything from projects Pegasus, Exodus, and Goliath. Lawson appears to work for an early incarnation of Pegasus, a joint operation between the U.S. Air Force and NASA, before it became a SHIELD operation, where, in the comics at least, it was an acronym that stood for Potential Energy Group Alternate Sources United States. Mouthful. Breaking free from a memory scrub, Veers takes an escape pod to the planet's surface, which turns out to be C-53, aka Earth. Now, the listed coordinates for Earth, like all of the coordinates throughout this movie, appear to just be random numbers and letters. But as we learn during our Easter egg hunts in the Guardians movie, these coordinates might be code for something. All I could find is that E-R-D-E, Erd, is a German word for Earth. I don't know, let me know if we find anything else. And now that she has returned to Erd, I'm just gonna call Veers Carol. Even though she doesn't yet remember that her name is Carol, it's just because I think Veers sounds really stupid. Carol crash lands in a blockbuster video. That's the first of many 90s references in Captain Marvel. And this didn't rebrand its name to just blockbuster until 1996, which is the year after this movie takes place. The movie titles visible around this blockbuster video include Last Action Hero and a standee for True Lies. The directors of this movie, Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, said that 90s action movies like these were big influences. Other influences included action movies like Total Recall, Independence Day, Men in Black. Now the movie title that she picks up is The Right Stuff. And that is actually a book and a film about Air Force pilots who trained to be the first NASA astronauts. Similar to Carol's function as an Air Force pilot working on a joint mission with NASA. Outside, Carol talks to this security guard in the parking lot. She asks if he's in charge of security for this district. And he says, sort of, the movie theater has its own guy. Now, there's actually a great inside joke that goes along with this, but before I get to that, this video was sponsored by ExpressVPN. So a VPN allows you to browse the internet with privacy, without things like ad companies, hackers, spyware, any of these weird things, tracking your data, secretly filtering your internet experience. ExpressVPN masks your IP address to make sure that you aren't being monitored so that you can have that whole peace of mind. You can live life knowing no one's peeping on you. Personally, I use ExpressVPN because when I'm researching these videos on topics like alien shapeshifter conspiracy theories, I get really creeped out when other streaming services or social media sites start recommending videos and articles about conspiracy theories. I'm sure you've all had a moment like that and it's kind of creepy, right? ExpressVPN is the fastest VPN on the market and it's the number one VPN service rated by TechRadar. And say you're in a different country, like you might not be able to have access to everything on Netflix or YouTube, other streaming services. Thanks to ExpressVPN, you can avoid all those weird restrictions and you can just watch everything that you would want to watch normally, the way the internet should be wherever you are. ExpressVPN allows you to securely stream or download content from anywhere, anytime, and it's less than $7 a month, a 30-day money-back guarantee. Take back your internet privacy today and find out how you can get three months free by clicking on the link in the description box. ExpressVPN.com slash new rockstars. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash new rockstars for three months free with one year package. Visit ExpressVPN.com slash new rockstars to learn more. Take back your privacy today. Okay, back to the security guard. This is actually a cameo 
cameo by Barry Curtis, the director of on-set security for all the Marvel films. This guy's responsible for preventing leaks on Marvel's end, but as he says here, not responsible for security in movie theaters themselves. By the way, this I think is the Barry that Mark Ruffalo was worried about pissing off when he spoiled the ending of Infinity War. Wait till you see this next one. Everybody dies. Is Barry gonna be mad? I love that clip. Carol also mentions having a universal translator, which is another nod to the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, in which James Gunn established that all the alien races in this universe communicate via universal translators. As Carol uses parts from a Radio Shack Game Boy to rig up a way to communicate with the Star Force, the wall behind her is covered in posters, including some 90s Rock the Vote signs, and a poster for Smashing Pumpkins 1995 album Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. This could be a nod to Brie Larson's past role as Envy Adams in Scott Pilgrim's Versus the World, which was adapted from the comics in which her character debuted in an issue titled The Infinite Sadness. Next arrives the other Marvel heroes who get their origins in this movie, S.H.I.E.L.D. agents Nick Fury and Phil Coulson, with Samuel L. Jackson and Clark Gregg digitally de-aged for their roles. Marvel's using the same process that they used on Robert Downey Jr. in Civil War, Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Lawrence Fishburne in the Ant-Man movies, and Kurt Russell in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. But here, the VFX artists had to keep this up for the whole movie, not just limited parts of it. Jackson wore a wig and motion trackers on his face, but the guy was nearly 70 and they de-aged him so well. And for the more action-heavy shots, the production actually swapped in stunt actor Keontae Elam, who actually played one of the extremist soldiers in Iron Man 3. This leads to a chase through the streets and metro lines of LA, which the director is based on the famous sequence in The French Connection, in which Gene Hackman chased down a train car from the street level below, the moment where Carol searches through the train car for a target. It's a recreation of Hackman's search in that movie. Sitting on this car is, of course, Stan Lee, making his traditional cameo. He's reading the script for the Kevin Smith movie Mallrats, which he would make one of his first ever movie cameos in later in 1995. That's why he's actually credited as Stan Lee in the credits of this movie. And he rehearses the line, trust me, true believer, which is actually what he tells Jason Lee in Mallrats. Trust me, true believer. Kevin Smith said that when he saw this while he was watching Captain Marvel, it brought him to tears. Now, this fight between Carol and the old lady Skrull is one of the highlights of the movie. Carol knows that she's a Skrull because, of course, she passed by the real old lady earlier on the platform, and this fight is vicious. I love how you can see the woman's glasses flying off her face when she gets punched, and the director said they included a take where her dentures flew out when she hit the pole. Actually, these flips and kicks were performed on an actual moving train car by stunt performers, their sisters, Renee and Heidi Moneymaker. The directors also just did a really good job pacing this fight between quick-paced action and pauses for character reactions, resulting in this intense growl from the scroll in the middle of the fight. And when the other passengers hold Carol back, notice how the man behind her in the suit kind of looks different between takes. That's because in the earlier shot, this was an extra. But in the close-up, the guy who gets hit is a different actor. Actually, the movie's fight coordinator, Walter Garcia. He had to dress up like the original extra when they reshot this scene so that they could add this little moment. When Carol gets off the train, she passes by this red-haired woman with glasses. This is a cameo by the Captain Marvel comic writer I mentioned earlier, Kelly Sue DeConnick, the one responsible for this whole incarnation of the character. As the scroll who posed as Coulson undergoes the autopsy, the S.H.I.E.L.D. medical examiner is played by actor Nelson Franklin, who appeared in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as Agent Steve Wilson of the the ATCU, an entity that deals with inhumans, though I don't think it's the same character here. Carol steals a motorcycle, gets a new change of clothes from that mannequin. I actually think an earlier version of the scene had her stealing the guy's clothes too, in what might have been a reference to the Terminator. Underneath the jacket, she wears this Nine Inch Nails t-shirt, a nod to the 90s band, and the directors actually had to get special permission from Trent Reznor to feature this shirt. Carol meets Fury at the Poncho Bar, and Poncho's is actually the name of a bar mentioned in The Right Stuff, near Edwards Air Force Base in California, where Air Force 
pilots would go hang out. The film's production put this poncho sign over a different restaurant, the Zebra Lounge, which is also located in this area. Ponchos has a bunch of photos of airplanes on the walls, and some of you asked if one of these is the Valkyrie, the Hydra bomber that Captain America flew at the end of his movie. It's actually a Northrop YB-49 bomber that was commissioned after World War II, and yeah, it would be a little weird for this Air Force bar to have Hydra bombers on the wall. Carol and Fury get to know each other, and he says that before working for S.H.I.E.L.D., he was a Cold War-era spy who worked in Belfast, Bucharest, Belgrade, Budapest. He likes the bees. And we actually learned of another bee named Fury Outpost in Winter Soldier when Cap meets Secretary Pierce. That photo was taken five years after Nick and I met when I was at State Department in Bogotá. Also, it's interesting that Fury brought up Budapest because Marvel fans know this could be a nod to another famous mission in Budapest referenced by Hawkeye and Black Widow in The Avengers. Just like Budapest all over again. You and I remember Budapest very differently. Though, given the age difference here, Fury's Budapest mission was probably way earlier than whatever mission Clint and Natasha were part of. Hopefully we'll see this whole Budapest backstory in Black Widow's upcoming solo film, which is rumored to take place a few years before Iron Man in 2008. To prove he's not a scroll, Fury tells Carol that he can't eat toast if it's cut diagonally. I love this detail because if you look closely at a specific shot in Age of Ultron, when Fury's with the Avengers on the Barton farm, he's cutting bread and some of you said that the angle looked like it's being cut diagonally, but no, when he picks up the piece of bread, it's definitely cut down the middle, not diagonally. Fury takes Carol to the Pegasus base in the desert, and he confirms that his full name is Nicholas Joseph Fury, which is the case in the comics. Also, if you look closely at his badge, it lists them as level three. Now, that's pretty low for S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. The last time Fury was part of S.H.I.E.L.D., he was a level 10. So, putting him at level three here means that Fury wouldn't have the same security clearance to know everything that's going on with Pegasus and what Dr. Lawson's whole research was all about. Now, it's not clear if this Pegasus base is the exact same one that we saw at the beginning of the Avengers, but both are located in the Mojave Desert of California. But if you look at the terrain surrounding the whole Joint Dark Energy Mission facility, it's a lot flatter, whereas this is more rugged. Fury and Carol explore the record's archives, and they run into Goose the Cat. And the earlier memory was established that he was a pet of Marvel, and I guess he's still roaming this facility six years after she's gone. Now in the comics, Carol Danvers' cat is named Chewy, like the Wookiee and like brands of oatmeal bars. But here they named him Goose after the character in Top Gun. In both instances, this cat is actually a flurkin, an alien species that resembles an Earth cat. They have tentacles in her mouths. They're able to swallow large quantities. In the comics, it's Rocket who outs the flurkin and freaks out. Here, later on in this movie, it's Talos. Carol looks through Lawson's records and plans for a lightspeed engine, realizing from her notes that she was a Kree. And the movie actually teases the final reveal here. If you look at the old photograph of Carol, you can almost make out that her call sign on the side of her jet says Avenger. Talos arrives, and the fact that he calls Fury Nicholas, tips off Fury that he's a shapeshifter, leading to this whole fight. Now, there's an odd detail during this. In the scuffle, Fury defensively unloads the clip from Talos' gun, but when he gets a hold of the gun later, he pulls the trigger on it. Now, I was thinking maybe Fury thought one bullet could have been left in the chamber, but the directors acknowledge that Fury just did this in the heat of the moment, which is also probably why Fury angrily throws the gun at him. Fury's saved when Carol hits Talos with her photon blast. Now, listen closely to the sound design here. You can kind of hear a rumble of thunder, and overall it sounds a lot more organic compared to the sound of Iron Man's repulsors. The directors wanted Photon Blast to sound more organic, more natural, coming from within Carol's body, as opposed to the precise mechanical defibrillator charge sound that Tony Stark's armor has. Carol and Fury escape in this jet, which is a predecessor to the Quinjet that S.H.I.E.L.D. will use later on. This is a fourth generation called the Quadjet. I look forward to the sixth generation model, the Sexjet. 
They arrive in Louisiana, where Carol reunites with Maria and Monica Rambeau. Talos surprises them, and if you look closely, the cup he's sipping from is the same design pattern on the Big Kahuna Burger cup that Jackson sips in Pulp Fiction. Talos says he stands before them as his true self, whereas in his human form, Ben Mendelsohn's actual appearance, that was an imposter. Now notice how Mendelsohn, in a scroll form, speaks with his natural Australian accent, whereas the human used his American accent. So now, this is, in a way, his true form. Talos helps Carol understand the truth, with a black box recording proving that Jan Rog and the Kree Starforce were the ones who shot down Carol and Marvel. They pull this up from an old school desktop CD-ROM that takes forever to load. It's part of the movie's running joke of 90s computer tech. Like earlier we saw the Alta Vista internet search engine. Carol finally recalls the origin of her powers. An explosion from Kree Tech, a light speed engine built by Marvel. Now this is similar to Carol's origin in the comics with the death of Marvel and an explosion leading to her powers. But the twist here is that the Skrull actually aren't the evil empire that the Kree propaganda suggested. They're actually refugees whom Marvel was trying to help find a new home world, away from the Kree, using a light speed engine. Carol was brainwashed by Yon-Rog using Kree blood transfusion and memory wipes. Now this is actually the same process that Nick Fury will later use to revive Coulson in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. after his death in Avengers. Kree blood, memory wipe. Perhaps Fury learned this process was possible from what happened with Carol Danvers. Carol works with Monica to help decide on a new color scheme for her suit, now that she no longer aligns herself with the Kree. One of the options is red and yellow, with Monica says no to, perhaps because this is the color scheme of the other Captain Marvel, Shazam. Another option is green and white, which is just actually the color scheme of the original Marvel's Kree armor in the comics. And they head off to Marvel's space lab, cloaked in orbit around Earth. Here they find the energy core that powered Marvel's original light speed machine. Ta-da! The Tesseract, aka the Space Stone, one of the Infinity Stones. It of course has the power to open rifts in space and transport you anywhere in the universe. Its existence here is interesting, because in the Marvel timeline, the last known appearance of the Tesseract was when Howard Stark recovered it from the ocean floor at the end of Captain America. He presumably studied it for years thereafter, but now this movie is suggesting it ended up in the hands of Dr. Larson, aka Marvel. I'll actually dig deeper into this whole Tesseract timeline in another video I'm working on. One interesting thing to note here is that if the Tesseract powered the lightspeed engine that exploded and gave Carol her powers, you could argue that Captain Marvel's powers came from the Space Stone itself. In Infinity War, we learned that because Scarlet Witch's powers were derived from an Infinity Stone, she could destroy said Infinity Stone. So perhaps this means that Captain Marvel could also destroy stones, potentially giving her a unique advantage in Endgame. This lab is littered with 90s era toys because it contains hidden scroll refugees and children. One of these toys is a Happy Days Fawn's lunchbox. That's what they used to store the Tesseract. We can also see these troll dolls. Now, in the past, I've speculated over another possible link between Guardians of the Galaxy and Captain Marvel, a throwaway line from Peter Quill about a Kree girl he hooked up with. Right here, a Kree girl tried to rip out my thorax. Now, we don't know where Captain Marvel's heading off to in this ship at the end of the movie, or where in the galaxy she traveled throughout the mid-90s and 2018 when she meets the Avengers in that post credit scene. But we do know that Peter Quill hooked up with some very aggressive Kree girl, or a human Earth girl whom he thinks is Kree, and we know that Krill had at least one troll doll because he used one to troll Yondu. So maybe a Captain Marvel sequel or a Guardians of the Galaxy prequel could show this whole fling. 
In this scene, we can also see a Space Invaders pinball machine, but notice how the props department changed the art on the back of it, perhaps because the original pinball machine in Space Invaders essentially stole the design of the alien xenomorph. The Kree arrive, and they force Carol back into stasis with the Supreme Intelligence, but Carol breaks out by overpowering her inhibitor ship, and she gives off this golden glow. She's supercharged. In the comics, this is called going binary, because Captain Marvel gets her power from the energy of a white hole, the theoretical opposite of a black hole, in which infinite amounts of matter and energy beam out of it. Carol blows back the other Kree. She tells Fury to take the Tesseract, leave the lunchbox, a nod to the Godfather quote, leave the gun, take the cannoli. Fury doesn't want to touch it, so Goose swallows it. Awesome. This actually echoes a joke from Bruce Banner in The Avengers. What does Fury want me to do, swallow it? Uh-oh, Raffo's spoiling future events again. Somebody call Barry. As Carol goes full binary, wipes out the Kree warships, including the bombing raid by Ronin, Fury and Maria return to Earth, and as Fury takes Goose, he tells the Flurkin, I'm trusting you not to eat me. Now, if you've been watching my videos in recent months, you know that I gave a loud ha to that line, specifically the word trust. Yeah, roll the clip. Last time I trusted someone, I lost an eye. Fury trusted Goose, who then scratched his eye out. One of the few predictions I made for a movie that shockingly came true. It also confirms why the wound over Fury's eye was in the shape of a scratch from a cat paw. Fury shouts, mother flurkin, because it's Sam Jackson. He's got to work in a mother in there. It's also a nod to the way that flurkin is used as a profanity in the comics, like when Carol says, no one steals my flurkin cat. After Carol destroys all of Ronan's bombs, she stares him down from space and he promises to return for her. So that explains why we don't see him become the whole rogue extremist that he is in Guardians yet in this movie. Presumably, there's more story to tell with him in a future Captain Marvel film. Back on Earth, Maria and Fury escape in a pursuing Kree ship through a canyon. It's very evocative of the Captain Hillard canyon dogfight in Independence Day. And when Carol confronts Jan Rog in the desert, she drags him back to his ship, similar to how Hillard welcomed Earth's alien and drags him across the desert. As they wind down back at the Rambo house, Fury tells Carol to go buy a new name. And although the words Captain Marvel is never said out loud in this movie, Fury does give her the inspiration by singing her the Marvelettes, Please Mr. Postman. Now you may know the song from the Vine meme. Wait, oh yes, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. This would be the second time in recent memory a Marvel origin movie referenced a Vine meme after Shuri's What Are Those line in Black Panther. Also, Carol returns Fury's pager, which she confiscated earlier after he used it to call her into Talos. She spruced it up to boost its signal across galaxies, setting up the post-credits scene of Infinity War and of this movie. Check out my other video for more details that you might have missed in the post-credits scenes. And that brings us to the final scene in Nick Fury's office. Coulson brings Fury various options for prosthetic eye to replace the one that Goose scratched out, but Fury prefers his eye patch, most likely because he likes his whole badass myth narrative that he lost it during a Kree interrogation. But there could be another reason. Like, Fury now knows that Skrull shapeshifters exist in this universe. The ones that he met were relatively friendly, but there may be others out there with more nefarious goals. This scratched eye is one unique marker on Nick Fury. If he keeps it covered with the patch, there's no way any Skrull could know from sight alone what his eye wound looks like. So if S.H.I.E.L.D. were ever compromised in the future, and a Skrull tried to copy Nick Fury, all the real Nick Fury would have to do is lift his eye patch as a way to prove that he is the real one. The final detail dovetails this movie directly into the Avengers saga. Fury is writing up his proposal for the Protector Initiative, his and Coulson's idea to find other heroes like Captain Marvel out there to protect Earth. But upon seeing her call sign in her old photo, 
Avenger, he renames this initiative. If you listen closely to the music, you can hear Alan Silvestri's iconic march of the Avengers theme. But to be honest, we never really do see what he writes. Could have been anything. The Flurkin Initiative, who knows? But I'm curious to know from you guys, which spinoff story would you like to see next? Captain Marvel versus the whole Kree and Supreme Intelligence and Hala? Or maybe a prequel with Carol and the Guardians of the Galaxy? Or a new Skrull secret invasion storyline with some other more evil Skrull terrorist cell? And if secret invasion, which Marvel hero do you want to be established as a scroll in disguise all this time? And why is it Hawkeye? Let the guy live in peace. Comment down below with your thoughts. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at EAVoss. Subscribe to this channel, New Rock Stars, on YouTube. And subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you live in the LA area, check out my live comedy show, Darkest Timeline, every first Friday of the month. Thanks for watching, Mother Flurkins.